This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This is DSC's Untamed Heritage. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger. Rugged, reliable firearms. Hardity. Accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon. Brilliant aiming solutions. Burnham Brothers Calls. Calling us calls made. Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas Raised Hunting Products. The Scent Gods. www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com. The Hunter Conservation Website. Sitting around the campfire this evening, it's a little bit on the warm side, but we've had an absolutely fantastic several days here with Don Richardson and Ted Simpson and, and uh, what's your name, Woody? Chase Phillips. Chase Phillips, <laughs> a.k.a. Skinny Woody, and I think he graduated after this trip to Woodrow. Good deal. Which, Good which deal. I'll got, take it. You picked, up, like. you picked up a new one. I'll take it. I think he picked up Blake a new already one. calls me Woodrow, but. Oh, he does. Oh, he does all the time. Okay. He's got 20 nicknames for me. <laughs> well, we've had an opportunity to have several absolutely fantastic days down here with the wildlife systems with Greg Simons' outfit and who. Uh, Don and Ted work with as guides, and, and I was fortunate to come down to take a absolutely fantastic scimitar horn oryx, which is one of the success stories when you get right down to it. There are actually more of that particular species probably on this ranch than there are in their native habitat anywhere. But what I thought we'd do this evening is just kind of tell a few hunting stories and just kind of visit a little bit more than anything else. Start off with Ted. You, you're from where originally? You've spent a lot of time in the Hill Country now. I think that's where you live. Yeah, I live there now in the Hill Country at Fredericksburg, but I started out in Houston and then we moved to um, Uvalde and Sabinal, is finally where I ended up growing up. I spent a little time there. I think I spent 32 years in Uvalde as a resident, and then prior to that, I was there a fair amount of time when I worked for the state. What about you, Mr. Don? Where, where do you live? I live in Wiley, Texas right now. 
Wide Awake Wally, as they call wide it. Awake, wide, wide Awake Wally. Wide Awake Wally. Yes, sir. I came from uh, the deep east Texas uh, Piney Woods, uh, Big Sandy, brought up right in there, and then moved to Garland and uh, spent there. And then I spent my time with Uncle Sam and came home and then been married and we went to uh, Fairfield, spent time in Fairfield, south of Dallas, and then kids all got up and got grown. And of course, a little town like Fairfield is not, you know, everybody has to go to Dallas to make money. So Absolutely. the kids went to Dallas. And so we spent a couple more years there and they said, well, we're going to go into Dallas too. Everything's a lot closer <laughs> to Walmart, the, the drugstore and whatever. Store, right. I spent a little time in Fairfield years past. There was a biologist there named Walt Daniels. We called him Fuzzy Daniels. <laughs> Walt was the the uh, project leader for that part of the country, and so we did a lot of work in that Fairfield area over toward Athens and oh, yeah. Cayuga and in Palestine and mm -hmm. uh, doing white-tailed deer research years ago. But Woodrow? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chase is, is cameraman for DSC's Trail on the Hunter's Moon, and he works a lot with uh, Blake Barnett, and I was very fortunate to have have Woodrow on this particular hunt as our camera guy, and, and uh, proud to be associated with him, quite frankly. I see guys, young guys like him, he's a sure enough youngster in this group right here, so yep. he kind of, <laughs> I think he's in the middle, he kind of fits in with everything. Tonight. Yeah. He holds up. Maybe the, holds he up holds the old up, maybe. guys. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a, somebody's got to follow us with what we're doing. <clears throat> let me let's start with with Ted a little bit. Ted, who, what all do you guide for with wildlife systems? Well, mainly just white-tailed deer is what I get, guide for. And I do some dove hunts with Greg, and uh, I've been doing his spring turkey hunts for probably the longest. And then you you do occasionally do some of the exotic things like here. I mean, we had actually the in there for for Neil guy earlier. Yeah. yeah, the only place I've hunted the exotics for Greg is here. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's quite a ranch. My my association with this ranch literally started in 1977 mm. when I was a wildlife biologist and started flying it for the Uteria family for the Danny Danny and Richard Butler and then Fausta Uteria down south. And, or just north here, I mean, and so I've been around this little ranch here for off and off for a long, long time. Don, what all do you do? You do a lot. You wear a I, lot of shoes. I do it all. Stuff. Yeah, I do dove, uh, spring turkey, antelope, mule deer, whitetail, all of the exotics. I've, like I said, I've I've done uh, all three of the Uteria units down here: La Jolla, La Chata, and Punta del Monte. And uh, loved every minute of it. Seen lots of lots of beautiful animals taken, and lots of happy hunters. And uh, been a it's been a great trip. And I started probably in '97, uh, '98, right in there. And uh, great new Greg as uh, the owner, our owner, as he was a kid. And uh, I was a firefighter in the Mesquite Fire Department for 30 years. And Greg's dad was my captain at the fire station. And we used to, uh, all of us firefighters hunted together and we took our, our boys with us, you know. And Greg, back then when he was just eight, nine, <laughs> ten years old, told me, this is what I'm going to do one day for a living. I'm going to work on a ranch or I'm going to I'm gonna be in wildlife somehow. And so, and, by and, God, he, he, and he did it. Yep, <laughs> he, he, he did, did it. 
Yep. Yeah, I remember Greg from when he first got out of school. He did some work, I think, with Jim Kern back then with uh, some things. And then over a period of time, I know when Greg started moving and started setting up wildlife systems, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time hunting with him and then been involved with him for a long, long time through that. But uh, a few other projects and then, of course, through the Texas Wildlife Association that he has been president of and now as president of the TWA Foundation and, of course, remains very instrumental in all of Y'all do a lot of good work down here. This, these ranches down here really to me show what can be done. Uh, they run cattle. They, uh, they have exotics. They do whitetails. They have native game. And, I mean, all those kind of seem to work together pretty darn good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, we, we do uh, management whitetail here. We do trophy whitetail here on all you know all yes, three of the units and uh and then we you know we do our uh, exotics right along you know somebody might be on a whitetail hunt and see a nail guy or a scimitar and they say "Ooh, i'd like to have <laughs> one of those so uh, we fix them up <laughs> well i hadn't hunted with you on some of the other things but i can't attest the fact that you know what you're doing when it comes to silver to horn orcs and when it comes to pronghorn antelope oh yeah <laughs> and i got a feeling that I, I know what I know that you know what you're doing in all these different things. To me, when you both of you guys in, I'll, I'll ask Chase some of this too because Chase is a hunter as well, and unfortunately, he is one of those guys. Like, I, well, I just found out that Don is primarily a, a, a an arrow flinger as well too. So, uh, <laughs> but, More power uh, to it. <laughs> You know, I, I, I used to bow hunt. I really did years ago, and then I grew up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, exactly. But Maybe I, one day I'll grow up. <laughs> I, I appreciate bow hunters so very much. Appreciate all hunters. I'd, I'd love to see more and more people get into the hunting than what we have right now. And I think we're kind of headed in in that direction. Don, you and I've talked a little bit about. Uh, I know that y'all are getting more calls from people about some of the big exotics that provide a lot of meat is that right oh yes yes since this uh pandemic has hit you know and the shortages of meat and stuff a lot of people are are you know uh interested in they hear about how great tasting the the antelope species are the exotics and they all uh, they've been ringing the phone pretty regularly and we've taken on matter of fact we're gonna you we usually have shut it down by about uh, the end of this month for yes, exotics, sir. but we're gonna we're gonna continue on through the summer. So, yeah, we we picked up a, quite a few uh, people that's interested in you know the meat, the eating part of it as well yes, as the. I, I think we're gonna see a little bit more of that all the time. But yeah, I think people are starting to realize that they can go out and harvest their own meat. They know where it came from. Mm-hmm. They know how it's been processed because hopefully they've been involved with with the processing and wild game is such tasty meat to begin with and so darn good for us as well too oh yes yes yeah chase what got you in, in, into hunting i why how did, how did you become a hunter and, and i've got another question there how in the world did what made you decide to film blake barnett and me <laughs> i, I or, got or lucky i got lucky getting getting a job with blake but yeah my uh granddad and my dad you know they showed me hunting when i was a little kid so i grew up on the family ranches there in Pleasanton, just shooting every little thing I could, just like any little kid with a BB gun. And <laughs> that's what Grandpa taught me everything. And my daddy, you know, he taught me too. And yeah, just been hunting ever since. And now I'm addicted to it. And just happened to land a job where I can get to hunt, you know, but behind the camera, but shooting with the camera all the time. That's good, good with me. Yeah. I enjoy it just as much as hunting the real deal. 
It is. I spend all the time behind the camera, and generally the cameraman hardly ever misses, even when the, the hunter in front of the camera does. <laughs> yeah, I try not to miss, or I'm not I losing saw, my job. <laughs> I saw him miss one time. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. Uh-oh. Well, I sure I'd, did. I'd like to hear about that, Ted. Well, we, of course, I had the privilege of sitting in a four-by-eight deer stand with, <laughs> with Mutt and Jeff. Four, yeah. yeah. And, I, uh, I can't even imagine. That, that's, that's like being put in one of those... Oh, those little cells that, you know, if you've ever watched them, like the Paul Neiman movies or yeah, some of those yeah. years ago where they put them in this little isolation care. Yeah. I think it might have been better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're, of course, you're dependent on the cameraman, and when you have a trophy buck that walks out, and I mean truly, truly a trophy, a trophy buck, yeah. trophy, trophy <laughs> buck, <laughs> and the cameraman says, no, I can't see it. No light. No light. It's not enough light. I think that, that still bugs Blake. What do you mean? <laughs> not gets him good. I can see it standing right there. It's can't standing you see right it? There. Blake probably could have killed it, but the camera. <laughs> yeah. Gonna see what the camera. You know what? I I can't feel too sorry for him because I remember several instances where Blake was pulling me out. That's how Blake started with me. As I had him as a camera guy, and then finally let him do start producing and. Finally brought him on as a co-host, and here as of late, I let him now own the show where instead of me paying him, he, I get to be paid by him. There you <laughs> go. So, uh, Ted, you've, you've hunted a fair amount, uh, and I know, Don, you have too, but Ted, you've hunted a fair amount outside of the guiding, both here in North America and, and during the course of our conversations around dinner table. You talked a little bit about some of the other places you've been. Yes. Um, yeah, I've been fortunate I grew up, of course, reading Outdoor Life and Field and Stream and just drool over the fishing trips and the hunting trips and the backpack on the horses into the mountains and things. And now I've got the wherewithal and the commitment to do those, and it's just really been outstanding. It just really has. It, uh, my bucket list has now turned into a barrel list. <laughs> So I, I absolutely will not live long enough to do everything I want to do, <clears throat> but it's it's wonderful. It really is. It is, and during the time when you're not hunting, you're guiding. Yes, yes, that keeps me out of my wife's hair for a little while, and keeps me in good stead with her. Yes, sir. <laughs> I can understand that. You talked a little bit past Don about. I asked you what your favorite two animals are to guide for, and, and would you tell me that again, please? Well, it's the mule deer and uh, the nail guy. Why uh, those two animals? <laughs> uh, and and the pronghorn. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, that's my top three. I just uh, I don't know. It's just um, it, it's a challenge, and the the time you spend, uh, you just don't go out there, and it happens right then. I mean, it's you know, stalk after stalk after glass after glass. You glass something like a big mule deer, you think, oh, you know, a half a mile away or a quarter mile away, and you make your stalking, and you get over and you say, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not what we're looking for. And the same way with, the, you know, the stuff that we, like our scimitar, you know, we got on him, and, you know, it was, um, hey, <laughs> yeah, do so, it. Sometimes it happens quick, yep, and sometimes exactly. it happens very yep. slowly, and... Occasionally, I mean, you can have things happen where the hunt is a true success, mm. with the exception of taking that animal, too. It doesn't happen very often with you guys, but, <laughs> no. but I can tell you, it has happened to me several different times in the past. Ted, what do you enjoy guiding for, uh, more than anything else? Well, of course, the, 
the guiding that I do for Greg again is mainly white-tailed deer and right in spring turkey and of course I like to hunt white-tailed deer a lot very much uh, but I do truly enjoy spring turkey hunts I really do it's just a good action interaction and like Don was talking about it's like you actually go hunt you just move around and have an op opportunity to react with the animals that you're hunting for and it's just very exciting to me chase i know you like chase turkeys too so is that where the chase came in to the oh yeah name chase? <laughs> yeah you bet yeah yeah turkeys are fun i like ted saying i like to interact with them and call them in and see them do their thing you know in the spring and wish we could get blake to do it one of these days but we'll, oh, get, well. Him. we'll get him around <laughs> Oh, well, you'll catch him in a, in a different mood one of these Oh, days. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> he ate some turkeys. Uh, I think he's had to film a couple of them a few years ago that were a little bit too fanatic maybe or something yeah. like that that may, may have kind of sired things a little bit. It's been a, it's been an absolutely fantastic trip this time as far as I'm concerned. As, as we were able to see a whole lot of animals, Don, you put us on some absolutely great animals got to get in close to some of them and just to see the different varieties of animals that are mm -hmm. on this property and how well they all get along kind of thing um, you like you mentioned you like hunting Neil guy mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about some of the Neil guy hunts that you've done down in this part of the country and they're basically Neil guy for those of y'all don't know they're initially from originally from uh, India and were introduced here in about the 1930s down this lower King Ranch country and those animals have done extremely well have they not yes they have they've done really well we the drought hit them you know pretty hard one year but boy they rebounded and came back and then we got an ice storm one time a lot of cold weather and they're very susceptible to pneumonia they don't handle cold weather cold rainy wet yes, weather very well at all but uh, yeah it it they there's great numbers and uh, i'm talking it is it is really truly a hunt i mean you go and you look and you go and you see and then you say okay that's the one you you don't stop and look at him you just as you drive by and say okay i think that's it right there then you go and you get your vehicle hit and you go and you stalk back and you hope that they're still there when you get there, which a lot of times they're not. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's getting the hunters on there and, you know, with their, they're shooting off of shooting sticks and... Uh, kind of like uh, out in Africa. Yeah, right. It, it is. It's just, uh, it's, a, it's a really good deal. I've, I've got a question for you. If somebody has never seen a, a Neil guy before and you don't have a photo of it that you can show it to them, how would you describe a Neil guy to somebody that says, what is a Neil guy? <laughs> I would call it a devil's horse. <laughs> <laughs> With, a <beard. laughs> With a beard. With a beard. Yeah. It has a face and a head like a horse, and then it has two horns on it, and then it has a beard and kind of like a little mane on the back, and they have the, the older, more mature bulls turn real black and gray, almost bluish gray though that black and gray mixed mixed together and they call them blue bulls yes, sir. and that is uh and we took one this hunt Ted yes, and them sir. got one <laughs> got on it and got it done and i mean he was a truck full too so it uh, yeah that's they're a 
What, what about firearms? I mean, I know some of these ranches have minimums because these, I've hunted Neil Guy Neighbors times, they're extremely tough to bring down at times, even with good shots sometimes. So what kind of calibers generally do you recommend, if, or does Greg recommend, or, or you too, Ted, when somebody calls, y'all are visiting maybe even at an outdoor show and says, I want to come hunt Neil Guy, what kind of gun do I need to bring? You know, what kind of caliber, what those kind of things? Well, the the ranch minimum here is 300 wind mag. That's a ranch requirement, you know, that they require for you to hunt here. Yes, sir. Is a 300 wind mag, and I'm I'm like uh, I'm I'm of that a choice. I guess you would say the bigger the gun, the better, <laughs> because yes, I have seen these animals. They are brutes, and uh, I mean, they're from where some of these animals being from Africa and some from India like that. If you once you ever get on the ground over in those countries, you're pretty well done. So these these things are, stri- are very tenacious, you yes, know, sir. and they can take a they can take a load a hit, and uh, you know, the guides we 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 are required by the ranch here to back up the hunters. They don't like wounded animals. And if they get off into this brush, we're there. I'm, I'm sure y'all seen some of it on some of the footage that we've done. That yeah, it's uh, that you, we lose a lot. We lose you know quite a few that they get in the brush. They don't bleed that much. No, you a lot of times you don't get a pass through bullet. You know, so you don't have a a big wound channel on them. So, but uh, yeah, they're the, I, like I said. The bigger the gun, the better. And uh, what about shot placement? I know, like in a lot of the African animals that I've hunted, it seemed like their diaphragm sits farther up, closer to the yeah, tell the front them, of Ted. the chest. What yeah. about what about them, Ted? Yeah, shot placement is is it. I mean, that's it. Doesn't matter what kind of a shot you are, or what gun you're shooting. If you don't place it right, you're messed up. It's not going to work, and uh, it's very very critical to get that bullet in into that chest cavity and basically break down the shoulder, at least one shoulder, and if you can break both shoulders, is ideal. Yes, sir. Yes. Because, again, as Don referred, uh, they're tough, and they are determined to live. And uh, in this brush, you can make a lethal shot, what we would consider a lethal shot on most animals, but if they go two, 300 yards, you're in trouble. You cannot retrieve that animal out of that brush. You just can't. We're on a ranch they call the Punta del Monte, which in Spanish essentially means the point of the point of the brush or the, the point of the thick woods. And this country here can be unbelievably thick, can it not? Very With thorns. <laughs> very. Yeah, you look at my arm with all the blood, and <laughs> you can tell. Yeah, there are places here. Everything down here has got thorns and spines and then you're also dealing some of the biggest rattlesnakes yes. I've ever seen in the mm-hmm. world are here on, on this pro- on these properties down here. In my hunter orientation I usually tell the people that are guests that everything down here sticks, stings or bites. <laughs> so <laughs> and be careful is, where you step, where you sit, where you reach. That is not only the truth, that's the whole truth and yeah. nothing but the <laughs> exactly. truth. And we're right at the verge right now. We've been very fortunate. This country has often been called the Wild Horse Desert, and it is a desert country, but we've been very fortunately blessed with rainfall the last several days. 
which is growing a lot of vegetation and it's unbelievably green. But what else does that rainfall bring? Uh, some of that stuff that sticks stings and bites. <laughs> and lots of mosquitoes, right? And lots of and mosquitoes. Lots of mosquitoes. I've, I've been down this country years ago when I worked this area for a wildlife biologist and you get some of these little sockas and little areas and, and it, I mean you wore a face mask not to keep from being bitten by mosquitoes but so that you could breathe because they yes. would just cover you up so Inhaling mosquitoes. <laughs> Woodrow, have you gotten in those kind of situations yet with, with your filming? Not uh, yet. No, just I, I did do a black bear hunt but it, they weren't bad. It was early enough they weren't yeah. too bad but the the ticks have been bad, you know, oh, yeah. in certain regions. On that nail guy hunt with Blake here, back in February, that, the ticks were terrible, you know, just starting off or whatever. And they haven't been too bad this trip, but I think I picked one off so far. You've picked a few off. So. Uh, yeah, I, I did. I Even mean, after spraying down, too. I mean, yeah, because still... usually when I go anywhere in these days where there are any kind of bugs or ticks or anything like that, I spray down with that Sawyer's Permanone and mm-hmm. Permethrin, not to spit it out here in a second. And, uh, I've never had problems with it, with ticks, but for whatever reason, uh, they must have found a place to crawl where, <laughs> where I didn't have them this time. Did you, with you hunting the different parts of the country, and you've hunted Africa, and you've hunted uh, up north in terms of uh, uh, like moose and things like that. Of those hunts, here in North America, what's your favorite hunt to do that you've done, either from a guiding perspective or from a, a personal hunting perspective? Well, I, I have have done one guided mule deer hunt for Greg and um, I'm glad to get my foot in the door for that because <clears throat> I think the mule deer is a special animal and it's my favorite. If I could hunt nothing else I would hunt mule deer and uh, I've had I've been blessed again to hunt some really good country for a, a lot of good quality mule deer and I don't know what it is I think it's just the country they live in Possibly, and and I don't know. I just they're just a gorgeous animal. They're just really beautiful animals to me. I won't disagree with you, mule deer, because to me that's probably a big mule deer is probably the toughest animal in North America to take for a hunter to take. Yeah. There's there there's never really a whole lot of them anymore. I'm, there's probably a time years ago in the 1950s, parts of Colorado and, and uh, maybe early 60s, and then go back to like the Kaibab, you know, in Arizona back in the turn of the. the early 1900s they were unbelievable mule deer and then there have been little pockets here and there but those mule deer to me are really special and I've, I've been fortunate I've seen a few really big ones and you see a big old deer out there and he's got a 30 inch spread and he's got long front tines, deep back forks he's massive when he turns his head he doesn't turn his head the world underneath mm. revolves around him oh yeah thing. to me they're just an animal of, of great majesty and you guys have an opportunity to hunt the uh, desert mule deer that we have here in, in west Texas what, what's special about them? Uh, t- to me, that's one of my favorite hunts. I'll be very frank with you. Hunting mule deer in western Texas. I just think it's the location. Yes, the it's country. The, it's the lack of people. It's so remote. And you have to respect an animal that can live in that environment. You, you have to understand that the fact that he lived a true trophy animal. Of course, a trophy is in the eye of the beholder. But, Absolutely. But an older, mature animal that's lived five or six years... My gosh, that's uh, I think I would think that would be the equivalent of a man living to be 95. Yes, sir. And um, they come out of a hard, hard scrabble, and I, I, I think a, 
that's one reason I respect them a lot also. Well, that old country is harsh country to begin with. Yeah. I mean, the nutrition is there. If you, they can get onto it, if we have deep amount of rainfall. We got mountain lions out there, mm. and we've got, they're dealing with bobcats and coyotes, and we're even getting, dealing with an increasing low population of black bear. Oh, yeah. There, oh, yeah. Too. Oh, yeah. Um, they're which, coming up. Which to me is really kind of cool. I love hunting black bear. Chase, you, you mentioned a bear hunt. Where did you do the bear hunt? It was up in uh, Manitoba. It was for a TV show uh, two years ago. It was just a typical, you know, bait style hunt, and it was fun. We didn't. My hunter actually didn't get one, but several guys in camp did, and they're they're pretty cool critters. I haven't, you know, I never saw one up close until then, and they're just they had, they were just awesome looking. They're you know we had some color phase bears come in and stuff, but they were all too small and stuff. But it was super fun hunt. Luckily the bugs didn't take us away like some of those hunts can do, but. You, it was, were, uh, you were filming the hunt? Yeah, I was filming. It was long. I mean, they're long days. You know, you don't hunt in the mornings, but yeah. you hunt till 10 or 11 or even... Or even later. Yeah, or even later than that. And we'd get, we'd get back and, shoot, we wouldn't even eat dinner till 12, 12 or 1 o'clock or so. But it was super fun. Uh, I found at times the mosquitoes can be really bad, but depending mm -hmm. on where you are, the black flies are the ones that really are, are, are pain as far as I'm concerned because they will land and crawl up underneath your sleeve or down your collar and to where it gets tight and that's where they're going to bite and it itches for days a lot of times so thankfully we don't have those down here we do have ticks and we do have mosquitoes but uh, thankfully don't have those uh, Don you and I hunted antelope this past year mm -hmm. and to me that was an absolutely fantastic oh, it was. We, we we got very fortunate in the end and and, uh, we looked at a lot of goats. We did. We did. A lot of times, I think people don't realize how big those pronghorn are in terms of horns. There in that area, we hunted around, uh, around. Uh, where were we? Marathon. Marathon. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes, or marathon. And uh, one of the things that I noticed out there too is where you and I were driving around, and we were looking for going to an area to look for antelope. We ran across elk. Oh yeah. So there's a fair elk population out there now too, right? Lots of elk in that country now. And y'all do a few, and that's where a we very do. limited number yep. of elk hunts, right? Yep. We sure do. Yep. What range is that on? The gauge. Oh, the gauge, okay. And we, we, we're killing some elk on the Hess, and uh, then we, you know, do uh, the uh, branches on down here at Stumberg, there Stumberg, around Sanderson, yeah, Stumberg. which borders the Longfellow. Yes, sir. And Longfellow had a lot of elk on it. Yeah, a lot of elk, yes, yes. Uh, that, that area, to me, is so very special. The th thing about it is with the elk, they're considered an exotic. They're not mm -hmm, considered right. a game animal in Texas, Yeah. which is really kind of strange because I know when you look at finances in terms of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, right. our, our Texas people really spend a lot of money at Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, you know, maybe one of these days they'll, they'll get that changed because a lot of those elk are native elk that when they shut down the Guadalupe National Park area, they closed up all the water holes and the, there was a substantial elk population there and then those elk had to go elsewhere to start finding water and so those, they're, and there's some big bulls. I oh, think yes. when, while I was there hunting with you for antelope, well, there were what, two to three elk killed and they were all like 300 yeah, class they were or better th elk. 300 350 I think yes, sir. 360 I think yeah, yeah. And we, had, we had a 370 killed also and occasionally you know there's a 400 class elk there that yeah and the beauty of that is 
is if you're a gun hunter, you guys too, you guys, do you hunt with a bow tail? I did for about 11 or 12 years, but uh, and I enjoy it a lot. I just don't have time for it anymore. I, I, I don't have time. To me, I hunted with a bow because it extended my seasons, mm. and then I started hunting so many different places that was no longer an issue. But uh, the, the, most of the states where you have decent elk, that archery hunt is during the bugling season. Mm -hmm. And the beauty to me of our Texas seasons are, number one, they're not a game animal, so you could really could hunt them year-round. Mm -hmm. But because they're not a game animal, you with a rifle, y'all hunt those ranches during the prime time when those bulls are screaming their heads off. Oh, yes. You? There's another animal out there that I've hunted with Greg and, and uh, what, what's Mr. Oddad's name? <laughs> Jackie. Mr. Oddad? Murphy? Jackie, Jackie Murphy. Jackie Murphy. Jackie Murphy. Yeah. I with Jackie out there and had an absolutely great, I mean, there's, you, you guys got some ranches out there that are just fabulous in terms of, of having Audat on them as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. We, we very seldom, well, not even begin to look at one unless it's 30 inches or a lot larger. That and hunt, that's, that's a big odd That's a big odd yeah. That hunt, and, and a lot of times those odd, older odd have a tendency to be a little darker in color. Mm -hmm. Right. When uh, I was out there with Jackie, we got into a herd of, I think it was 60 males rams. Mm -hmm. And they got up on a mountain, and we followed them up there, and almost all of them were from about 26 to maybe 29. Right. Know? And uh, we got onto some a really other good odd dad, and I look over at Jackie, and he goes, "No, no, no, I ain't letting you shoot that one." You know, yep. he's not quite there. So we kept looking, and finally, the one that I ended up shooting was like thirty-two and a half inches. Yes, absolutely fantastic animal. Uh, they're so majestic looking to me. They're, they're, to me, they're one of my favorite exotics, particularly when you're talking about the <clears throat> part. And that's a real hunt too. Oh man, it is. It's it's yeah. like a desert bighorn sheep yes. hunt. Other yeah. than the fact that there's pretty you see a lot of animals. Kind it of can be very physical sometimes. It can be, but yeah. it, the beauty of that is too is a lot of times where you're out glassing for those or hunting for those, you'll see mule deer, you'll see mm -hmm. elk, and if you look down to the prairie country, right, you know you might see pronghorn there as well. And there's a scattering of, of whitetails get in oh, that yeah. area as well too. Yes. I don't think I'll have them on the ranch right there, but there's also that little Carmen Mountain whitetail, little uh, Otocolis virginianus carmenensis, which they call the fantail, that uh, is an absolute fantastic animal to hunt as far as I'm concerned. Little, what what is their tail. range now? Where are They're they They're basically down in that country, but the true fantails or Carmen Mountain whitetail deer live from 4,500 feet elevation on up. Okay. Years ago, there were some on that cattle gauge and in, in all through that area. Were there? Yes, really. Uh, there was an outdoor writer named Byron Dalrymple that wrote for Outdoor Life a lot, and he would go out there every year and hunt with uh, with the the gate, cattle gauge people, and uh, they you'd had mule deer scattered up and down the mountains and in the, on the prairie, and then you had Carmenensis deer, fantails above 4,500 feet. And then down below that, you'd have a regular Texas whitetail as well. So you, you could actually, at that point years ago, go out there and hunt three different species of deer. It was really kind of a cool deal. Yeah. Now, as as a biologist, what do you, what impact do you think the whitetail are having on the indigenous species for West Texas? 
You're talking about mule deer primarily. Mule deer primarily. Mule deer. We've had whitetail out in that area for a long, long time, but generally we see occasionally we'll see crosses out there. The whitetail is more aggressive in every respect in terms of feeding, in terms of fighting, in terms of breeding, and. Uh, if given the opportunity, you, you see crosses in almost always, it's a white-tailed buck breeding mule deer doe. And that F1 cross has a tendency to look a whole lot more what, what the mother does. But you know, if you look at that, uh, the tarsal, not the metatarsal gland, you know, mule deer have real long, white-tailed have a sharp man like the chestnuts on a horse, and those crosses will be about halfway in between. Their tail, a lot of times, from what I've seen, will look like a uh, uh, almost like a Colombian blacktail. Not that rope white and then black like a mule deer, and not like a whitetail with brown and, and white, <coughs> kind of a cross in between. Antlers can go either way to where they fork or don't fork. But I've also seen them to where you know, a mule deer stops, like he bounces up and down when he goes, and a whitetail runs straight out. I've seen some of those deer out there, very awkward. They didn't know whether to bounce or they didn't mm -hmm. know whether to run. And I think were it not for the predation that we have out there, you would see a whole lot more crosses. Mm. But I think that, and, and I've talked to some other people that are much smarter and have done this more, much longer than I have, they seem to think that those those crosses are taken out by predators a whole lot more. They're, they're a little bit more curious. They'll stand there and look at a coyote or a bobcat or a lion a little bit longer than either a mule deer or whitetail. And then when they start running, they're very awkward. It's very easy for those animals to get caught by predators. Yeah, well, the mule deer habitat, or not the habitat specifically, but the mule deer population is diminished considerably. I can remember when I was growing up, it, it was much farther east than it is now. Do you think the whitetails are pushing them out? I think to some extent that some of that's happening or they're breeding them out in some instances. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you look at some of that Crockett County around Ozone and... Uh, they used to be just west, just west of Sonora, a little way there as well too. And there's still a few scattered in and around that country, but not in the numbers. So I think that's that's probably a, a good, a good. What you're saying is is good is that the whitetails are pushing because again, they're more aggressive. Uh, whitetails also a six month old doe fawn will breed on a whitetail. Most mule deer does don't breed until they're two and a half years of age. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's one of those situations where they don't recuperate as quickly and and, uh, and a lot of that's happening in, in a lot of the mule deer country. It's one of the reasons the Mule Deer Foundation was formed to try to, you know, finance more <coughs> research and, and try to determine what they could do to, to, to kind of save the mule deer down the way. Well, I can remember growing up that um, the ranchers in some of those locations as the white tail began to move in, they were concerned even at that time, not knowing what was really going to happen, and they would try to kill every whitetail they saw. They did. That, that, it that, didn't work. No, and, and unfortunately, what, what, one of the things that happened is that little Carmen Mountain whitetail, they very seldom cross with a mule deer because they live at the very top. They're small. They're not. They're a little bit more, uh, not as aggressive as, as what the regular Texas whitetail are. But that's a traditional habitat for that species. That's too. the traditional habitat yeah. for that species yeah. as well. And like I said, they were up high in the mule deer pretty much. You know, you, you, you go into Mexico uh, and it's the same supposed subspecies, the uh, Otocoileus hemionis crookei. Uh, and there, you never see a mountain in the mountains, you never see a mule deer. 
they're all down in the flats. Yeah. The only thing you find up in the mountains are, are coos deer and, and desert bighorns. And I think that's the way it was originally out there in some of that West Texas country. Yeah. And then the whitetails started expanding their range, the Texas subspecies, and they were all over the place. So I think that's that's one of the reasons. Yeah, there were a lot of those ranchers that I knew years ago that, you know, whatever legal beans they could go by, and I suspect some of them were a little bit, you know, if you saw a whitetail, you shot it on sight kind of thing. Yeah, one of the old ranchers that we talked to out there one day, he he called them flagtails. Oh, yeah. And he did not like, he said, you see any of flagtails, you know, get rid of them because he said, I said, well, why do y'all not like the whitetail out here so much? Because they're always down on the highway and they run out in front of me, tear our <laughs> trucks up. We said, we don't have no problem with the mule deer because they stay up there where they're supposed to, but the flagtails get down here where we always hitting them with our vehicles on the on the road. Yeah, so. they, they can take, as you guys well know, that whitetail deer is one of the most adaptable seemingly species there is, particularly here in North America. And there's a little population, was it in Finland or someplace in Europe? And then they're down in, uh, there's a, an island down off the coast of uh, New Zealand, and even on what that, the islands of New Zealand have white hills there as well, too. So they seem to adapt extremely well. Yeah, I heard an Indian saying, the last man on earth will have a white-tailed deer and a coyote for a friend. <laughs> you know what? I think there's a whole lot of truth to that. They've, those white-tailed deer have learned how to adapt, particularly in a lot of these urban areas that we have now. They, uh, but they're still fun. They're all fun. But I, I do agree that mule deer, particularly the West Texas mule deer, they're... Uh, desert mule deer they're just absolutely a fantastic animal to hunt yeah and, and and it speaks to the popularity of it also because we have currently have like a two and a half year waiting list to get on one of our mule deer hunts i know and the reason i know that is because i'm on that list <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i keep hoping greg will find some new ranches there that have got some really good places yeah really good deer that because I know with, with the management programs that y'all initiate mm -hmm. as part of your hunting program will increase the pop, the, pop, the population of those mule deer in those areas. What else you guys would like to talk about or is there anything you'd like to talk about or, or where are you guys headed next? What what right, what personal hunts are y'all doing? Ted, have you got a personal hunt coming up that you're looking forward to? Well, yeah. <clears throat> My wife and I, we're going to hunt... Um southeast Colorado this fall for mule deer. Um, I have uh, some friends that ranch in that region that I've been hunting with off and on for about 12 or 15 years and uh, really, really looking forward to that. Uh, my wife has never killed a mule deer. Oh, really? And um, I, anymore, she's my hunting, fishing partner. And uh, I tell you, I... Uh, I enjoy much more watching her hunt or fish or whatever and being successful than if I did it myself. Understandable. Yeah. Understandable. I don't know what it is. Of course, that we get that, I guess, from the fact that we're guides. Right. <laughs> and through our hunters, we get to take, and as, as we talk, we speak of, I killed, I got, I got. We didn't. Our guy, our hunters did. Yes. Yeah. But we do it through our hunters. Absolutely. And, they may have pulled the trigger, but you're yeah. the ones that yes. help them get there. And we still get the that. satisfaction out of it. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes sir. Yeah. Yes sir. Don, what about you? 
Well, I'm kind of uh, like me and Ted both being retired like we are, we're kind of uh, a lot of our guides are we're part-time guides, they call, and because uh, they have other jobs, but me and Ted are usually on the list that, uh, you know, if something comes up, Greg calls and says, hey, can you go do this? And yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're on the road and doing it, but uh, you know, I don't know what's, uh, what's coming up. Like I said, we're going, we're, we just now started our uh, uh, Axis deer hunts, and that will go through June. And then we're going to be, you know, doing the uh, exotics here uh, through uh, the summer. So, you know, just I have no personal hunts of my own. I just about, uh, I, I really don't hunt anymore. I just, you know, I guide. Uh, and it's I get just as, it's, it's more pleasure for me now to see somebody else take something than, you know, than me myself. You yes, know? sir. And being Ted, we've we've hunted a lot of kids kids that are just, you know, and it seems like the children and the women are our best hunters, you know. <laughs> because they do what you tell them to. They pay attention. <laughs> they pay attention. They pay if attention. you tell them we need to do this, you do it, and they do it. it you know, you tell <laughs> you tell a, a, a male hunter that and they like you know, it went in one ear and out the other on them, you know, so, yeah. But, well, uh, since you bring that up, what do you think we can do in, in, in Chase, Woodrow, Skinny Woody, whatever? <laughs> uh, what do you guys think we can do, those of us who love the outdoors and who love to hunt and, and, and understand how important hunting is to the conservation of habitat and the wild species, what can we do to get more women and children particularly involved in hunting oh gosh i tell you that's that's tough because in texas specific well not just texas but everywhere it's such an expensive process to even get into and for an individual that's not committed to do something like that it's it's hard for them to uh, even pretend to start because of what the equipment you have to invest in in the time you put in and then the money that it costs anymore for a, a guided hunt or a lease is almost prohibitive. It's tough. It's really tough. Uh, the only thing I know to do is just whenever you have someone that has any kind of a glimmer of an interest in it, just kind of promote it as you can. Um, and, I, and I think these uh, uh, brigade deals that we have now, I think like that the Texas Brigade, the Texas the Brigades Texas that we're having now, you know, the different Bob Bob, Bob White Brigades, the Whitetail the, Brigades, the Buckskin and all, Brigade. Yeah, yeah, the Buckskin Brigades. I believe that is uh, that is really is helping get the word out there because the ones that we have in our camp, they carry it back and pass it on to their, you know. Yes, sir. Uh, but you know, really, it, it's one thing that's going to be very important in the future it's going to be even harder for people to hunt and have places to hunt is to educate people that don't hunt as to why we do it and why we have to do it and uh, that's one of the roles that I think we overlook um, I had an opportunity when we were in Africa to be <clears throat> on a tour with two ladies non-hunters um, and 
they did not understand the purpose of hunting whatsoever. And of course, I visited with them. I didn't try to promote or push or right. prompt them one way or another. But over a two-week period, after uh, we finished up our tour time, and the one lady that came to me, and she said, I want to thank you. And I said, well, okay, I appreciate that, but I, don't, I guess I don't know why. And she said, don't, get, don't misunderstand me. I'm not a hunter. I will never be a hunter. But she said, after visiting with you, she said, I have a better understanding Thank God. of yes. why you hunt and why we need to hunt. So I think that's something that we need to pay a lot of attention to, not just promoting new hunters, but we need to educate people that just don't want hunting, yes. period. Exactly. I, I totally agree. I, I, I want people to make up their own mind rather than to be led exactly. by some of the anti-things that are, that are going on. And Chase, you're of, a, of an era. <laughs> uh, being the youngster in this group, uh, millennials or whatever, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, you know. I don't like titles. I don't like categorizing people, dear, frankly. But, you know, somebody of, of your age who's just out of college and trying to get into the real world, What? what how, how do you see and what do you think can be done to get more people involved in the outdoors or at least getting them to understand why hunting is important, why fishing is important, why... You know, what What can you do to help kind of thing, to, to perpetuate the fact that in the future there will be wildlife and there will be habitat for that wildlife? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, we've got all the pro hunters and the anti hunters. I think it's more the majority of the people just are on the fence about hunting. They're not anti, they're not pro hunting. I right. think those are the people that we need to kind of, you know, educate about what hunting is, what conservation is, and how, you know, we are the greatest contributors to conservation and what all we do and whatnot uh, i think kids are obviously the next generation you know they're all on their little tablets and phones and just dug into that screen we need to get them outdoors and i think all the camps like don was saying are a great idea and i think just getting you know and like ted was saying earlier the opportunities for all of them is just not out there and it's getting expensive and stuff we're just going to have to promote you know, coal hunts, you know, if we got coal deer to shoot, you know, let the kids go out and understand that that's where food comes from. It doesn't just come from a grocery store. Uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. That's <laughs> what Ted was saying earlier in the week. You know, everybody, high schoolers thought milk came from a grocery store. But you guys in your programming and the way you present it um, has a lot to, to do with how people think about hunting and hunters. Yeah. And I'm sorry, we have a lot of what I consider Bubba shows. We do, yeah, and it is extremely detrimental to what we're trying to to uh, present to the public yeah. as far as hunters and hunting, mm -hmm. and they and they are predominant. And it's and I, my hat off is to, is my hat is off to you guys for the way you do and present yourselves in the hunting uh, society, um, and I think that's extremely important. And you guys are doing a good job at it. Yeah, the social media. It's definitely hurt. Yeah, some of the stuff that's put out there on social media. You know, it, just... it is to me. Social media is just absolutely horrible two-edged sword. There's an opportunity there to do well with it, but it's so easy to to do go the opposite way and just that quick, and it goes immediately all over the world. Oh, yeah. I always yeah. try to tell people before you punch, think before you punch that button to send, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or or post whatever the case might be is be sure. 
think it out before you know maybe you ought to need to edit it a little bit maybe you ought to clean the photograph up a little bit maybe you need to think before you send and or you really need to think before you send so to me the social media things are, is a tough thing to do don when you started hunting what did you start hunting on what what animals what were your first hunts that you remember cottontail rabbit cottontail rabbit <laughs> and that from that between that and squirrel <laughs> exactly Every, Chase, what about you <laughs> I think my first hunt was a teal hunt out in El Campo. I think my dad took a me teal on hunt. a couple, or you know, dove hunt and teal hunt. That's where I, right. you know, besides shooting birds and stuff in the yard and <laughs> mom's bird feeder and whatnot, you know, being a little kid with a BB gun, just anything, anything that flew or anything that had a now heartbeat. The, time, the, the limitation of time has been passed. You could talk about this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Ted, what about you? Well, same way. Of course, I grew up, uh, unfortunately shooting every bird I could find in the neighborhood <laughs> with whatever I had available but yeah you just start out that way you start out with rabbits you start out um, and just progress on and get into the bigger game and, and so on as your interest continues to grow and as you get the ability and to do those things uh, yeah you just graduate and go from there I agree I started out hunting <laughs> hunting rabbits and squirrels my granddad we hunted deer although we didn't have deer and you know then we just kind of got always loved the deer hunting we spent a lot of time reading and really didn't make a what i would consider a, a true big game hunt until i was well out of college and then i didn't go to africa until i had both kids out of college mm. you know kind of thing and yeah it, you, you mentioned it's expensive and it, it is but there's some research that was done a few years ago not that long ago that where they looked at what a hunting family spent in 1950 comparable to what their gross income was on the year yeah. then they looked like this is like 2015 they did the same thing looked at what a, a hunting family spent compared to what their income was the interesting thing was the percentage has remained the same the dollar figure has changed tremendously so even though back in the 50s the average income say was was uh, four thousand dollars? You know those 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 people that hunted and had loved the outdoors. They spent between four and five hundred dollars a year to go hunting. So yeah, if you I, equate that to these days on a you know this percentage of guys making you know hundred hundred twenty thousand dollars, well, and he's looking at it going in for twelve or fifteen thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. Oh my God, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but comparatively, it's it's pretty much the same as what it was many many years ago. And I think one of the things that we overlook, and that's one of the things I appreciate about the brigades, particularly with, and, ha and some of the other organizations like DSC, and they're involved with uh, youth hunting programs, as Texas Wildlife Association is. I think sometimes they don't, but we do sometimes as a whole overlook. You, we all started out on small game. Mm -hmm. You know, gosh, I, 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 it took a long time before I finally killed a white-tailed deer. I, hunted them from the time my dad put me out on a stand when I was six years old with a rifle and left me, you know, and I was 14 when I finally killed one. Uh, but we didn't have a whole lot of deer like we do these days, but we hunted a lot. So I think sometimes we overlook the, the fact that you can hunt if you want to. There are, even in Texas, there are wildlife management areas that do small game hunts. There are a little bit of national forests. There are type three management areas that you can go to, you know, and, and, there are duck hunting opportunities where you can stand on the bank and shoot ducks if you want to on some of these uh, 
lakes that we have available to us. So if somebody really wants to get out, I think there's opportunities, and and uh, I think is we have increased the management of all these species. I mean, uh, there are situations <coughs> where you can go kill does uh, that are considerably less priced than than you know go out and killing a trophy buck kind of thing. So I think there are opportunities, but you got you got to dig for them a little bit more than maybe we had to when we were younger and and. Uh, Laws were a little bit more relaxed back then. <laughs> Had statute of limitations plays out on some of the birds that we shot, and of course, when we were little kids. But I think too, uh, things were looked at differently back then. You know, that was kind of a, a, a part of growing up, and particularly if you lived out in the country. But we do need to get more people in the outdoors, whether it's children, whether it's guys that are older than I am, and grandmothers and great grandmothers and, and great grandfathers. The more people we can get out there. I think the greater influence we can have on those who don't hunt as well, too. And, and any opportunity we have to... I used to get on a plane and, and try not to look like a hunter. And then the last bunch of years, I get on. if I get on an airplane, I want to look like a hunter because I want to engage, have the opportunity to engage with somebody to ask me, why do you hunt? So that I can explain to them how important hunting is in terms of preserving the habitat, of maintaining population so that not just white-tailed deer do well in the habitat, cottontails, songbirds. The habitat itself does better because we manage those game species to uh, keep that habitat in a healthy situation. So, you know, there are lots of good organizations. Uh, before we close this thing out, I'd, I'd like to get a few words from Corey Mason with uh, DSC. DSC does so many great things, and I want to come back and we'll close this out in a little bit, but let's get a few words from Corey. We talked a little bit about engaging and getting some of our members and even the, the outdoorsmen or the people that love wildlife that have some understanding about what it really yeah. should be like. How can they become a little bit more engaged? Yeah, but, you know, we get that question a lot. Someone that's hunted for decades many times, but yet they feel uncomfortable and willing to have a conversation with someone or to be able to defend sustainable use and hunting specifically. And so, you know, one of the things that we try to do is we try to provide information that not only informs those outside of our community proper, but also provides information so people can use those as talking points. If they're talking on the elevator to a colleague or someone in a casual conversation at a soccer game or wherever else it might be in life, where they bump into someone and they want to have those conversations. And so one of the resources where we've spent a tremendous amount of time is on the DSC website. That's at biggame.org. You can go there. You can find a lot of our resources. You can find a lot of our articles. Um, but we have more and more current postings on our website, excuse me, on our Facebook page. Like we're posting these these uh, more recent uh, videos associated with conservation projects around the world and really the truth in the conservation through hunting model. Uh, the last several that we've put out there have been extremely well received. They've made a lap around the world uh, from Europe to South America to all over North America. And so, again, it's used as an educational source for those that, that are looking for points to be able to speak to as well as those that maybe want to provide something on, pass it on to someone that maybe is a not an anti-hunter, but not a non-hunter, you know, looking for information to talk about some of these things associated with, you know, what what role does conservation through hunting play in North America, in British Columbia? What role does it play in Africa? What is the importance of the voice of the rural African in managing these species? Or what are really the struggles? For example, one of the recent issues that we've really focused on, in fact, over this last week, and I spent time in it on Saturday trying to provide some factual points associated 
with the importance of Namibia's Black Rhino Management Program and the successes from it that are unprecedented. It's one of the greatest conservation success stories in North America. Number one, to applaud the Namibian Ministry of Environment and Tourism, but secondly, to understand that a component of it, not entirely, but the component of it is the revenue that is realized from the hunting of select post-reproductive males. And then those revenues are used to fund the existence of the entire program. And in a very short time period, the black rhino population in Namibia has doubled. And so there's some very measurable, demonstrated successes that can be really clearly shown as those examples for someone that wants those tools to engage. Again, just, just really look at the DSC resources. Clearly, there's the print materials we send out to the members as a benefit of membership. But look at our website. Look at our social media sites. There's lots there. And please contact us if there's things that people would like to see develop that are needed as a resource. Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure sitting around the fire with y'all this evening. We talked circles a little bit, talked a whole lot about some things, and, and uh, uh, probably left some things unanswered that once we shut this thing down, this podcast down, that we'll talk a little bit more about before the evening goes out. But Ted and, and Don and, and uh, Chase, really appreciate y'all being with me this evening. And tell me one more time, or maybe we haven't even mentioned, how is the best way to get in touch with Wildlife Systems in case somebody wants to book a hunt or to even learn more about Wildlife Systems in terms of what you guys do as far as management programs are concerned? We have have a fantastic website, wildlifesystems.com, and uh, you can go there, and it, it, it tells you everything about the company from the beginning to the end, the staff, we uh, all the hunts that we offer, our prices, uh, everything, everything that you need to know. And uh, like I said, and also you get, uh, you know, uh, our phone numbers uh, on the website. You can call the office, and uh, Greg even has me in sales now, and I get they forward calls to me, you know. I'll do as many as 15 or 20 in a day. People asking me about, you know, what what is this, what is that, and what is that, and what is that. And so, you know, that's our probably our website is probably the best. And uh, but really, we don't do a lot of advertising because most of our business is return uh, business. People, I've been I'm guiding people that I've been guiding for 10 years or better. <laughs> They Perfect. come back every year and they hunt the same ranch every year and they think, you know, that it's their, their deer lease, you know. <laughs> They're only there for four days with me, you know, but they feel like, you know, that uh, uh, they that that's their own, you know, personal deer lease. But, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's the best way to contact Yes, sir. Well, those returned customers speaks very highly of, of you and, and all the guys like Ted that work with Wildlife Systems and, Greg Simons and his office staff and, and everybody involved with Wildlife Systems. Oh, so yeah. You heard it right there. If you're looking for a hunt, if you want to go hunt desert mule deer, get on the list now because it may be three <laughs> years before you get a chance to do so. But there's some absolutely other fantastic hunts that, that uh, Greg has available through Wildlife Systems. And uh, get in touch with them on the website, best place to do so. And then you can go to the phone numbers and uh, talk to Don and, and maybe Greg and some other people <clears throat> as well. And, and uh, till next week, y'all have an absolutely fantastic week. We'll be right back here with, right back here, I should say, with uh, DSC's Untamed Heritage. Thank you for joining us today.
DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Vernon Brothers Game Calls, calmness calls made. Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas-raised hunting products, the scent gods, www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com, the Hunter Conservations' website. 